What a beautiful morning. Uh, I feel like I say that every time. We just have beautiful mornings, right? It's not even... I say it because it's important to say it. I also say it's a privilege to be here every time because it is a privilege to be here every time. To stand up in your home church time after time is a huge privilege and something I never, ever take for granted. So I say thank you to the VLT. I say thank you to Pete and Nikki who are enjoying some well-earned rest. You remember last time I talked about the keys? What about a few more days of key prayers for Pete and Nikki this week as they prepare themselves for Vision Sunday? That wouldn't go amiss, would it? But it is a privilege to be here. Um... Before I start, can I tell you a quick story from my summer? Is that okay? Is that all right with everyone? Um, So a couple of weeks ago, I I was preaching at an event for teenagers down in Kent for the Salvation Army, and I was preaching about the very same passage that um, F.A. preached about so brilliantly last week. We often call it the woman caught in adultery, that passage, and I was preaching about that because the theme they'd given me was um, being a disruptive influence, which is dangerous. It's a dangerous theme to give me. And I talked, about, uh, I talked about this story we call the woman caught in adultery. And um, I talked about the three ways that I think Jesus' influence pervades that story. And I talked about how he, he stood out. He, he stood out from the religious thinking of the day. How he stood up for, for her. And then I used this third one, which was I talked about speak life. How at the end of that story, I feel like Jesus really spoke life over the woman. And then I said to this group of teenagers and their leaders from the Salvation Army in Kent and London, I said, so our response tonight isn't going to be come to the front. It's not going to be come and sign up for a gap year or any of that. The response this evening will just be to go and start to speak life to one another. And their faces dropped. And I said, we're going to stand. And this is going to be really awkward for a few minutes. But I wonder what it would feel like if we just started to speak life over one another. I told them about this church. I told him about my good friend, Stu, who consistently speaks life over me, even if he's just asking where I got my solar panels or where I bought my T-shirt from. He never is able to do that without lavishing life all over me. I told him about the people in this church who do that for me. And then all heaven broke loose because a couple of hundred teenagers and their leaders caught the fire of speak life in that place. Isn't that incredible? And as I stood in this place, they tried to end that night three times. They kept singing a final song. Never has there been a more final song as them trying to stop these teenagers speaking life over one another. And as I stood there in that moment, I was incredibly grateful for being part of a church that has speak life at its core. But I was also remarkably challenged that as we enter this new season, I wonder if some of us have let it slip a little. I wonder if as we enter this new academic year, I wonder if we might need to remind ourselves why Speak Life matters as a church. Friends, don't be fooled. We can disagree in Speak Life. We can disagree really well in Speak Life. We can disagree fundamentally in Speak Life. If you don't believe that, ask some of my friends. We disagree all the time. We fundamentally disagree about some things, but we disagree in life. There is accountability in Speak Life. Don't be fooled into thinking that it just means anyone can do anything. Speak Life comes with accountability, and there are boundaries in Speak Life. It doesn't mean that anyone can say anything, and as long as they say it nicely, it's true. That's not Speak Life. That's Speak Nonsense. So Speak Life really matters, and I think, church, we would abandon it or demean it at our peril. I really do. I hope it's okay for me to say this. But I really felt challenged as I watched that room catch the flame of Speak Life. My prayer was that this church, where it comes from, wouldn't dampen theirs along the way. 
So no matter how big we get, no matter how many ministries we form, no matter how far we go, Lord, I pray we will just constantly remember that Speak Life is in the middle of this church for a very good reason. I think it really matters. It's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about justice. I'm talking about justice matters. What an amazing theme this has been. Every message just, just giving us something new and brilliant. I haven't been here for the last two Sundays, but I, I went on the podcast, Nikki, two weeks ago, Efe, my friend last week, what a beautiful word you shared. Like, what a, what a theme. And um, I think I've told you this before, but um, I write a sermon for every theme, even if I'm not scheduled to preach. Um, it's one of the ways that I try to get better at, at preaching. It's why I, I challenge myself to write a sermon even if I'm not going to preach in that season. But this one is the wrong message for today. Because you see, when I wrote this one, when Pete, when Pete came to me um, and said, um, would you speak? I'd already assumed I wasn't speaking. And I was pleased about that because when the theme was launched, I started writing a message and it's a bit of a curveball, if I'm honest. So it was one of those ones where I wrote a message in my laptop and thought, you know what, God, I'm pretty grateful I'm never going to have to preach that. <laughs> and then Pete came to me and said, Matt, will you preach? Uh, will you preach in the middle of August? And I went, yeah, okay, well, I wasn't going to preach that message, but you know what, I can preach that message. Okay. And then he came to me and said, actually, Matt, will you preach it on the 1st of September? And by the way, it's the last one of the Justice Matters thing. And I was like, no, this is the wrong message for today. You see, the reason I think it was the wrong message for today is that I think today should be a big message. I should be preaching today, making justice matter, or what next, or go big. That's today's message, right? That's what I should do to finish this justice matters thing. But the problem is the thing that God has spoken to me about in justice is not how big we can go, but how small we're willing to go. See, the thing that God put on my heart all those months ago wasn't how big can Skylark Church go, but the question, how small is Skylark Church willing to go when it comes to seeing justice? So this is not the right message for today, but you're getting it anyway. <laughs> Let me start by clarifying this is really important. I, I, I don't want to leave myself open to any misunderstanding if I can this morning. I am not saying that small is greater than big. I'm not saying that. We need big responses. We need more Cherish Ugandas. We need more Dignity Freedom Networks. We need more gatherings of female leaders in Amsterdam to discuss and figure out a way forward to help our sisters be the leaders that God wants them to be and calls them to be. More on that later. We need more big loves, okay? We need big responses. But let me tell you what I know about those things. Those things didn't always start big. They started with faithful, small obedience. And then they allowed God to grow them. So I'm not saying small is greater than big. But I do think there's a risk in this theme and in this series that we can be so overwhelmed with inspiration, we become paralyzed. Do you know that feeling of, oh, I wish I could do that? Do you know that feeling of, I'm more of an encourager of justice. I'll write a check for justice. Don't get me wrong. Big love, cherish you, the DFN. They like your checks. They'll take your checks. Don't you worry about checks. But we can feel like that's all we have to offer, right? Bit of encouragement, bit of giving, a few social media shares. That's all we've got. 
Maybe we're saying, I'll leave it to the people called to justice. Save us from being called to justice, Lord, will you? Save us from being called to anything, right? Do you know, do you know I'm, here's another one that I'm not talking about this morning. <laughs> Can I tell you the most releasing bit of biblical truth I ever learned? That the only call Jesus gave the disciples was to follow him. So if you have decided to follow Jesus, you are called. You're living out your calling already. So don't, don't be fooled into thinking you're waiting for God to tell you what you're called to. Because you're called. Come follow me is the call. And if you're doing it, you're called. If you're not, he's calling you. Come follow me. So Lord, save us from being called to justice. Because we don't need to wait to be called. But what we do need to do is recognize that sometimes in this small beginnings, God can do amazing things. So I'm not saying small is greater than big, but I'm saying small matters. So here we go. The thing that struck me a lot over this whole theme is that I think we have to accept a theory. Okay, are you okay accepting a theory from me this morning? It's all right if I give you a theory. I always say theory because it means people can't tell me off afterwards because I went, it's only a theory. (laughs) Guys, I said it was a theory. Okay, here's the theory. I think the kingdom equals justice. Bishop D'Souza spoke about this, didn't he? He talked about some of our more theologically conservative brothers and sisters right now who are trying to suggest that social justice is a subversion or it's a distraction or it's something else. I I don't buy that. I'm with with the bishop. It's a good place to be, I think. (laughs) I think we'd all like to spend more time with the bishop, right? He was amazing. I'm with the bishop on this one. You see, here's what I think. I think if your good news isn't good news for everyone, it's not good news for anyone. That's what I think. I think if your understanding of the Bible or your following of Jesus finds yourself on the side of the oppressor or of the system or of a, 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 a kind of a rigged kind of anti-justice setup that means that people lose out, then I think you might want to go back and have another look at the Bible. Because I think if it's not good news for everyone, then it's not good news for anyone. I want to humbly suggest this morning that if your vision of the kingdom looks like a bunch of people who look like you, sound like you, like the same songs as you, and hang out in the same places as you, that might be the kingdom of you you're interested in. Shall I go one further? Friends, I want to tell you, if your vision of the kingdom looks like Skylark Church, it might be the kingdom of Skylark Church you're interested in building. This is an amazing place. Don't be fooled. Don't get caught up in it. Don't be mixed up. This is an amazing church. This is not the kingdom. There is more. So if your end limit of the kingdom is this church, then that's the kingdom of this church, not the kingdom of God. And I think we're meant to be thinking about that. And there's this amazing thing that happens in the Bible when Jesus talks about the kingdom. He often talks about really small things, like a seed in a field or a pearl or a mustard seed uh, or lots of different things like that. And so this morning I want us to look at one of those, if that's okay. We're just going to look at one. Uh, And that's in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, just verses 1 to 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child who he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name 
welcomes me. I love this story. But I really don't like how sanitized it's become over the last couple of hundred years, right? Like Jesus is like a fun uncle. Just really, really loves just hanging out with the kids and playing with the kids. Like Jesus, have you ever, do you know the theory of the kind of Jesus is your boyfriend type thing? Like the list, like he's a carpenter, so he'd be good around the house, right? Or he's really good with words, so you get a lovely Facebook status on your anniversary. Um, and, and good with kids, right? Because that's what this story has become, this idea that Jesus is like this kind of amazing kids worker who just like loves hanging around with kids. This story is a subversive radical act. This story is a subversive moment in the Gospels where Jesus brings a child, a child who, by the way, has no rights, is only property, who has no status in that society or time or culture. And he says, unless you become like this, this insignificant property of others, as they were viewed, then you won't see the kingdom. Jesus not only gives the child the value in that moment, he says, you don't value it, but I do. But if you want to see the kingdom, you might have to think about how you think about yourself. That's a radical and subversive act. And I think there are things we can learn from children that are going to help us learn about justice. Because you see, if the kingdom equals justice, and we won't see the kingdom unless we become like children, I don't think we'll see justice unless we become like children. So there are three really quick things I want to suggest this morning that we can learn from children three really quick things that I think we can learn from children that are going to help us as we move forward in justice. Are you still with me? Good. Can I have a drink? Thank goodness. I'm glad you said yes to that one. Okay, let's go. Some um, research released in, I think, 2012, 2013, around them, uh, looked into the number of questions that children ask on average, right? And they studied, and they discovered it was 75 per hour. Do you like how I said hour there? That's not how I say hour. I say R, but I knew you wouldn't get it. 75 per hour. You're welcome, Essex. 75 questions per hour. You're welcome, my homeland. 75, right? That seems high to you. That feels low to me, because my five-year-old can do 75 in the first few minutes of a film. Daddy, who's that? What's he doing? Is he a bad guy? Why are the bad guys? Are you a bad guy? Am I a bad guy? I want to be a good guy. What's the good guy doing? Why, Daddy, why are you leaving? Daddy, where are you going? Daddy, are you listening? <laughs> That's my life. Do you know this morning, here's an aside, this morning, I literally, <laughs> so I've been prepping for this sermon, and it hasn't been the easiest sermon to prep for, as I've already said, because I knew this was a weird curveball message. But anyway, I'm, I, I sort of step out of the shower, and I start to get ready, and Casper runs into our room, and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I thought, oh, Lord, is this the moment? Is this where maybe Casper's going to unlock or un- just make something really clear for me? And he goes, Daddy, Daddy, what's your favorite dinosaur? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know. Kids ask questions. They ask loads of questions, right? And at the start of this, in in Matthew 18, chapter 1, the disciples ask a question. They come to Jesus and they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But it's a rubbish question. It's a really rubbish question. And children don't just ask lots of questions. They ask really good questions. Do you want to see some questions kids ask? Why do I have to go to school? Kids, ask that one this week. Why, why can't I stay up as late as you? You see, justice. That's a justice issue. <laughs> uh, because I say so, I don't know. 
where did I come from? <laughs> Still no kids' church this week, so. You know, you know we laugh over this. Can I, can I just say, really quick, <laughs> there's a lot of scaremongering and fearmongering going on in the world right now about how we teach kids some of this stuff about their bodies and relationships and all that stuff. Can I ask us to do two things? Can I make sure before we jump on that bandwagon, we know what we're talking about? Because not everything you're reading on the internet is accurate. So let's be careful, people of faith, before we make ourselves look a bit silly, okay? Because when we jump on those bandwagons and sort of suggest some sort of culture war, we just look a bit mad. And especially if we don't know what we're talking about, it's got to be taught age appropriately. I absolutely agree and believe that. It's got to be done sensitively and right. And I do believe that parents and schools should work together. I absolutely agree with all of that. But can I say one more thing? Our kids are growing up in the world they're growing up in, not the bubble we want them to live in. So we don't get to decide what that world looks like. And we ill-equip them at our peril. Because if they don't understand their bodies, they're not going to be safe when their bodies start to become a bigger issue than they might be right now. And if they don't know what the world looks like and what other families and other groups of people look like, then they're not going to be able to be loving and caring and friends to people who don't happen to look like them. So please be careful, please, from the bottom of my heart, because I, I honestly, there's just so much nonsense. I'm being really, because the kids are in, right? I, I was going to say in this that the disciples asked a stupid question, but I was absolutely petrified my five-year-old would jump up and go, that's a banned word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? See? Told you. Let's just be careful, all right? Uh, uh, two more questions. What is God? Why do people die? Has anyone been asked that by a four-year-old? I have. Have you got an answer? Because I didn't. <laughs> Kids ask the best questions. But the disciples ask the rubbish one. You see, the disciples want to know who's going to be the greatest? How do I get to be the best? How do I push my way to the top of the line, Jesus? And kids ask better questions than that. Do you know that number, that 75 per hour? It just gets so low as you get older. Like, grown-ups don't ask enough questions. Some of that is because, well, maybe you don't care what my favorite dinosaur is. You should. <laughs> it's because it's an Angiosaurus. Thank you. So you should care. But, and I know we know more things. I know I know more things than the average preschooler. But that doesn't mean there aren't things I don't know. You see, kids ask questions because they're smart enough to know they don't have all the answers. And how often, church, do we act and talk like we have all the answers? And when it comes to justice, friends, I think we have to be really careful that what we do next isn't a leap into justice that assumes we have the answer to every injustice. We might need to ask some questions. We might need to ask, are we needed here? Is this for us? You know, Nikki talked about this a couple of weeks ago when she talked about how so often as Christians we, we can go to people and just assume that we have the answer to whatever they need. Let me pray for you. I know what you need. Yeah. That freaked you out, didn't it? <laughs> I know what you need to support a better football team. That's what you need. Um, sorry. We do that, right? I grew up in a Sunday school. 
oh gosh, I am so off my script. Lucy, I am so sorry. I grew up in a Sunday school. I grew up in a Sunday school where um, uh, my, my, the Sunday school leader uh, used to do a quiz every week. And she would buy full-size bars of chocolate as prizes for this quiz, right? So one of my first theological influences was Mr. Cadbury. That's what kind of started this whole journey into loving the Bible. And um, he... And so she would, she would ask a question, if you got it right, she'd fling out like a full-size Mars bar, a full-size dairy milk, something like that. And so this was like amazing. But of course, if you got towards the end of that quiz and you didn't have one yet, you could just fling your hand up and say, Jesus, and three out of four times you'd be right. <laughs> it was a really fail-safe way to make sure that you went home with some chocolate. But friends, I think we do that sometimes when we go to people. <laughs> we go, I know what you need, Jesus. And and actually, we rob people of the dignity or the agency to ask their own questions. Mark chapter 10, Jesus walks by a blind man. And the blind man says, Master, have mercy on me. Do you know what Jesus does? He stops and he says, what do you want me to do for you? How sneery might some of us have been when that happened? Jesus, it's obvious. It's obvious he wants to see. It's not that Jesus didn't know. But he gave the man the agency and dignity to ask his own question. Friends, as we move into justice, I pray that we'll ask more questions and better questions, and I pray we'll allow others to be the ones that set the questions and set the agenda. Because if we don't do that, I think we're like disciples who go, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus brings a child and says, the one who humbles themselves to ask the questions, they're going to see justice. Second thing kids do. Uh, Alison Gopnik is a child psychologist, and um, she's written this beautiful book called The Gardener and the Carpenter, and it's all about um, how to parent, and basically the idea is, really briefly, that um, carpenters create something, they make something and it's finished, whereas gardeners create and cultivate a soil that something can grow in, and she suggests that actually if we try and carpent, that's not a word, is it, John Mitson? It's not a word, carpent. If we try and carpent our children... (laughs) we end up with, with that. But actually, if we actually instead we cultivate and, and create space, um, we do that. You know what does that? Our children's ministry does that. Yeah. Lindsay, you're a, a wonderful gardener with our kids. We're, we're so grateful you've had this rest, but we're even more grateful it's back next week. Um, <laughs> because you do such a good job. What else did you think I meant? They are cultivating ground and soil for our children to grow in. Jen is doing exactly the same with her team in our youth group. We should be incredibly grateful to our brilliant kids and youth pastors for that. And as parents, that's what she suggests we do. Rather than trying to mold and shape our kids into being the thing we want for them, we should worry about the ground that we're planting them in and cultivating the soil. She says this, young brains are designed to explore, old brains are designed to exploit. In exploit learning, we try to quickly find the solution that is most likely to work right now. Right now. In explore learning, we try out lots of possibilities, including the unlikely ones, even if they may not have much immediate payoff. And to thrive in a complicated world, you need both types of thinking. I absolutely agree with this, and I think it applies to justice. There are some things that we need to do some exploit thinking on right now. We need the Amazon to stop burning, and we need to stop destroying the beautiful planet we were given. We need to stop doing that, okay? That has to happen. That has to happen quickly. We don't have time for a committee on climate change. We have to stop it. Okay? That's just a, we do it. We we have to stop refugees drowning in the ocean trying to get to a better life. That doesn't need a whole bunch of exploration. That's what we need to do. 
And we need to find a way to support our brothers and sisters in America and South America to figure out how we stop children being ripped from their families at the border because they're still being kept in detention centers and it's not okay. We need a quick, quick, exploit-thinking answer to those injustices. We don't have time to think about it. But some things we need to explore. Every time I preach, I give my wife the sermon. I've said this before, right? I know I've said this before because someone went to Christina a little while ago and said, oh, so you write them with him. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> and, I, and I give her the sermon. And, and so I gave her the sermon this week. And she, um, she said, yeah, Matt, I, I love what you've done. I, I, there's some really interesting stuff in there. But um, in the explore section, I don't know what that looks like. Can you explain to me what it looks like to explore justice? And I, and I sort of tried to dodge the question. In fact, you want some real honesty? On Friday afternoon, I took Explore out of the sermon. There were going to be two things I couldn't quite cope. There's definitely a Baptist in me somewhere that needs three points every week, isn't there? <laughs> two would just have made me shudder. But the reason was this. You see, when we start to explore justice, some of the things we discover aren't comfortable. So do you want to know what that looks like for me? Because if I'm going to ask you to explore, I don't, get a, I don't get a hall pass. Here's what it looks like. Friends, I'm passionate about ending climate change. I'm passionate about trying to restore our beautiful planet. And so the exploit part of me puts some solar panels on my roof, buys some boxes from Ikea to do my recycling, and tries to do a few less plasticky things when we go to the shops. But here's the real problem. When I explore that issue, I discover that I don't like paying as much for my clothes as I should, so I buy sometimes fast fashion, and that's having a huge impact on the environment. But it's not impacting it here, it's impacting it for other people somewhere else. And so it's easy for me to kind of just forget that happens. And if I'm going to explore what it looks like to really help mend and heal our beautiful planet, then I have to think about the things I buy, who I buy them from, what they're made of, who made them and what impact they are having on the beautiful planet I claim to want to save. That's what exploring looks like. Friends, I am really passionate about there being an end to racial discrimination in this country. And I've done some stuff about that. I work in an industry that has been terrible at uh, bringing in non-white people into that industry. It's not a secret. I'm not saying something you can Google it. The, the TV and media industry in this country in particular has an appalling track record in, in allowing uh, people to come into the industry who don't look and sound like everyone who's already there. And I have been able to partner with a, with a, with a beautiful organization called Mama Youth who have worked tirelessly now for 15 years to change that to try and help young people to come in from uh, different racial backgrounds and come and be part of our industry. We've run internships, we've tried to do things like that. We've, we, we're doing our best to try and fix that. But when I explore the issue, I have to ask myself, why have I never been overlooked for a job because of my own race? I have to ask myself, why will my son be able to wear what he likes and hang out where he wants without being stopped and searched or seen as a threat because of the color of his skin? Why? Why is that okay? How have I benefited from a system that is rigged and racially unjust? That's exploring. Do you want one more? What lazy prejudices and stereotypes do I have in my own thinking that I don't want there? And I often don't know how they got there. But sometimes I wonder, am I part of the problem? What do we allow to fester in our hearts and in our minds? Lazy 
unjust, just not good enough stuff that we allow to sit in our minds or in our hearts while we claim to be all about racial equality and yet we're not doing the deep exploratory work that might mean we have to discover something ugly about ourselves. That's what it looks like. I am passionate about women uh, not having to fight extra hard to get the things that men just get. I'm really passionate about that. I absolutely believe in it. I want, I, want, I want equal pay. I want equal opportunity. I want women not to be scared to go out on their own or with a group of female friends because they're either going to be catcalled or touched in ways they don't want or, uh, or even worse, abused in ways that they haven't asked for or are any way acceptable. They are unacceptable ways. I want to not live in that world. But if the television and the music and the magazines that I consume as part of my day-to-day -day walking through life continue to value women based on their appearance, I'm not helping. I'm just not helping. But that's exploratory work. You see, anyone can stand up here and say, I believe in justice. Anyone can stand up here and say, I want the world to be fairer, more equal. I don't want the color of skin or gender or any of those things to be an issue. But we have to explore Jesus said, become humble like this child. Exploration takes humility because you have to be prepared to come to the conclusion that you might be part of the problem. One more? <laughs> Friends, I come from a family where my great-great-grandmother was a church leader. My mother was a church leader. My mother-in-law was a church leader. Some of my closest female friends are church leaders and preachers and teachers in churches. I do not want to be part of a world where my nieces or my goddaughters or maybe one day my own daughter looks around and goes, I can't do that in this church because I'm a woman. I don't want it. But that means we can't let the comments slide. That means we can't let the, well, you know, I don't really go in for that. We can't just let that pass. Remember I said earlier we can disagree and speak life? We might need to start disagreeing a bit more and speaking life. It's not good enough. I don't want this community or any other church community that I have anything to do with to be a place where we go, yeah, well, we celebrate women, but to a point. I want to be part of a place where anyone I know, any woman I know, any girl I know can look around and say, if God wants that for me, nothing can stop me in this place. And that means we have to explore big, deep exploration work. So... Kingdom equals justice. To see the kingdom, you have to become like a child. I think you have to explore. One more, and then I'm nearly done, I promise. Kids have been amazing. Parents have been amazing. <laughs> the final one is this. Right at the end of the passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, um, Jesus says, he brings the child out, and he sort of flips the script a bit, because he says, not only do you have to become like this child, you have to welcome this child as well. And I've already said that children had no agency. Children had no stock or inherent value. Children didn't have a kind of a social place on a hierarchy. And so what Jesus is doing is he's not only saying you have to do those things like a child, but you have to be willing to accept and embrace those who are outside of your order, outside of the system as you have imagined it to be. And I love that children do this because children embrace if you have children or you've spent time around children, you'll know this. My son can make friends anywhere, right? Cafes, restaurant, swimming pools. No one needs a changing room friend. <laughs> the first time I meet your friend's dad, he should have his shirt on. <laughs> no one needs that friend. But my son can't help it. 
And do you know what else they don't do? They don't get caught up in the whys or wherefores or the, or the how it looks or are, are we the same? Do we believe the same things about atonement? Are we on the same place on this social or moral issue? They don't do that. It goes like this. Hey, I'm playing here. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing here too. Are, are we friends now? Yeah. Dad, I've made a friend. His dad's over there, no shirt. You see, children embrace. Children see others and they go, I want, I want them. I want them in my life. Have you ever tried to take a new friend apart from a child? It's tears. It's like it's the worst thing you've done. It's like the opening of Love Actually. It's like, it's okay. I think, they go in, I think we'll be in your class tomorrow. You'll see them at eight. Come on. They're so desperate to embrace. They just love to spend time with one another. They love to make new friends. They love to reach out. Church, are we people who are going to embrace injustice or are we just interested in saving? Are we interested in saving people and helping people and doing justice? Or are we interested in the loving, Jesus-mirroring work of embracing those who are suffering? Embracing those who need justice. Not save, not rescue, not feel good about ourselves, not give a talk about it. Embrace those that others may not choose to embrace. Because that's kingdom justice. That's kingdom justice. See, friends, if our if our vision of justice doesn't extend to that community or that group of people or them, then friends, I don't think it mirrors the work of a Jesus who told stories about Samaritans and welcomed traitorous tax collectors for dinner. I don't think that's the kingdom work of a Jesus Christ that says that my kingdom embraces all. Friends, if our vision of justice doesn't include those people who don't look like us and sound like us, who spend time like us, who worship like us, friends, I don't think that vision of justice is the justice of the kingdom. Because the justice of Jesus was constantly looking for other ways to involve more people and invite the outsider in. So friends, if we want to do the justice work of the kingdom, I think we need to learn to embrace like children. I think we need to learn to get beyond mission or the next big project or the next great idea. I think we need to find a way to embrace those that need justice. So that's the curveball message. Are we willing to become like children, Skylark Church? Are we willing to ask questions, to explore, not to have a quick fix? Are we willing to embrace those that don't look like us and sound like us or aren't going to win as any popularity competitions? Are we willing to, to be part of a community that might face some criticism because of the people it starts to hang out with or welcome? Are we willing to be that kind of justice community? That's the type of justice I want. Are we willing to be a church that explores the issues, not just engages in the issues? Are we willing to be a church that asks ourselves deep, humbling questions like, am I part of the problem? Are we willing to be a church that asks questions at all? 
Or are we just going to get out there and do some justice? We could make ourselves feel plenty good between now and Christmas doing some justice, couldn't we? Children inquire, they explore, and they embrace. Friends, I think that's the justice of the kingdom. Because when we become like children, when we humble ourselves before Christ, he says we will see the kingdom. And that means we're going to see some justice. So it's the last one, so we need a response, right? Do we need a... We need a... I don't don't really do those. (laughs) But we need a response of some sort, right? We We should do something. We should mark the moment at the end of this really important season. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to do something childish this week. I want you to draw a picture with a crayon or jump on a trampoline or kick a ball for the first time in a long time, or have a disco in your kitchen. Yeah. Friends, if you, listen, uh, if you listen to worship music regularly, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change the playlist this week and go and find an album called Sparkle Pop Rampage. It's been written by a, a brilliant Northern Irish band who have written a kid's album, and it is absolutely stunning. You want to you wanna do something childish this week? Knock out Hillsong and Bethel for a few hours and stick on Sparkle Pop Rampage. Even just saying it is going to make you feel childish, right? They're so smart, those boys. Sparkle Pop Rampage. Here's what I want you to do. Either this afternoon or tomorrow or sometime this week, I want you to do something childish. But I need proof. So, I want you to share that something childish. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I want you to do something childish, and I want it to be on there. All right? Teenagers, I know I never pick on you, and I know I never really even come to you, but I I know I've used the three old man social media ones, right? But if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it on one of the old man ones, because most of us aren't on whatever the one that just came out this morning is, okay? So if you could humble yourselves to use an old man social media for a few moments, that would be really beneficial. Thank you. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I want to see... I want to see if we're willing to become like children. But more than that, ask some questions this week. Explore your heart this week. And find a way to embrace someone that maybe you wouldn't have before this. Will you stand and will you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful that your word and your words, your living words, have spoken through this season. Father God, we thank you for everyone who has stood on this platform and spoken what you have given them to speak about Justice Matters. Father God, we thank you for the inspiration to our leaders to bring Justice Matters to the fore in this moment, in our time, and in our history as a church. God, we, we say thank you. We express our real gratitude for those moments. But God, we know that the real justice movement is your justice movement. That the kingdom of justice is yours, that you invite us to partner in building. So God, may we never rush past or rush by in the hope that we can build ourselves an empire of justice when you're seeking a kingdom of justice. Father God, may we always follow you obediently because that's the only calling there is. So God, we follow you obediently into the justice of your kingdom. Father God, we follow your example of Jesus who was in all the wrong places at all the wrong times with all the wrong people, not because he thought he could get a quick save, but because he loved to explore and embrace and inquire of others. Father God, this is not about efficiency. This is about justice. So God, we pray that you would push us past wanting to get out there and do it. And Father God, you would continue to do the deep work in our hearts. 
Father God, we call upon your name because from you are all things and to you are all things. And we don't want to do anything that isn't honoring you. So God, we seek you first, King of justice. And we ask that as we follow you obediently, as we ask the right questions, as we explore our own hearts, and as we learn to embrace those that perhaps we haven't embraced before, that we would see your kingdom come and with it, true, pure justice. God, it's not about us. So God, may we disappear and may your kingdom come. Father, hear our prayer because we pray it through the name of your son, the justice warrior, Jesus. Amen.